This is our Suburb Trends report for March 2022, and we'll be looking at where prices are moving across the country, either up or down, and why they're moving, and a few surprises. In this episode, we'll be discussing the change in market conditions that was felt in many markets across the country at the end of last year, and we'll discover which areas are showing strong signs of softening and which ones are holding up. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecaster report which experts can you trust to get it right the elephant in the room.com.au This month, we've asked Kent to look into where markets are showing signs of softening into 2022. So Kent, can you kick us off by briefly explaining how you've tackled this challenge? Yes, I've grouped everything according to a statistical area three or SA3 as I love to call them. And I've swept across uh, current listings, uh, counted them up, compared them to where they were three months ago, compared them to where they were three weeks ago. Uh, and then a- analysed it against sales volumes. And what do you get with that? You get inventory analysis. So higher levels of inventory. We know that that's a, a fairly softer market. If it's a building, if inventory levels are building, we know that's a, a weakening market. And what we've done as a result of this is I've, I've done a bit of a forecast. I've said with uh, interest rates uh, likely to go up with some global concerns and global risk uh, as of the time recording this, we've effectively on the brink of World War III, it appears. It's and, a nervous um, laugh, Kent. I know. I don't mean to <laughs> laugh at it. It's a nervous laugh. And yeah. and as a result, what I've done is I've said, assuming a 20% reduction in sales volumes in the coming weeks, what impact would that have on some of these SA3s? Which ones are going to be... Uh, performing really, really well, and which ones are are likely to be the softest markets or changing. Right. And I just want to distinguish a couple of things around inventory and sales volumes Mm. just for our listeners. So inventory goes up when one of two things or two of two things happen. One is when more listings come onto the market and two is when sales volumes fall. Right, so that sort of is the cause of, and if those two things happen, obviously that's mm. a very soft market as opposed to can just be normal sort of market ups and downs. Are you seeing both of those factors kicking in or just one? Uh, there, the, there's some markets we've identified where both are happening. Mm. Uh, there's some interesting scenarios where we have markets that just have so few listings uh, coming mm. on and currently that even if demand dropped off, they're still hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to, and this what this underlines is, you know, when people refer, refer to the Melbourne market or the Victorian market or the Australian <laughs> market, how wrong it is mm. because this is very much a patchwork quilt. So, so you've got two sides of the coin. When things are going bad, more listings are coming on um, and less are selling and it's just sort of this glut of listings buyers are like well i've got lots of choice well there's more coming on i'm just going to sit on my hands you know you start doing lowball offers fire sales etc it's just like this cycle and it's the same on the other end right you know very low listings low coming on people are desperate people are like well if i don't get this one i'm not going to get one all year 
etc so the it, it winds up fomo but it also winds the other way right so the other way the yeah. fear of um not buying as well so um what's some of these areas that you think kent where you know the the spirals heading in the wrong direction i guess where stocks sort of sitting on there and then also lots of stocks coming on yeah well what i'd probably prefer to call these markets the ones that are probably most vulnerable mm. because mm. if 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 sales volumes fell off just marginally uh, where they are in terms of pipeline supply and current listings, uh, the standout at the moment is Perth. Mm. So, you know, we, we, I called out Perth as, you know, last into the party and maybe first to leave the party. So, you know, across the Perth, inner, northeast, northwest, southeast, uh, these are markets where it does appear that they are the most, most vulnerable to a modest, very modest change downward. Um, shift in in sales volumes. I'm just uh, looking at your thing here, Kent. Though, but it's always northeast, southeast of Perth. There's not many west of Perth, right? Um, so it's all the you know east of the city, which is not like Sydney, the eastern suburbs. It's the it's the west in Perth where the money is. So is that what you're seeing? It's all these house and land packages investors who got caught up, and are finally, this is an opportunity to get your money back that you've been underwater for almost a decade. Um, and people are like, oh, now's our chance to finally sell. And, um, yeah, is that what you think is happening? Yeah, it's, it's always good to, to drill in and look at the listings and look at la- sort by latest. So I, when I pull up a, an SA3, I, I sort by latest and it tells me what's in there. And what's really interesting with a lot of these house and land areas, whether it's a seasoned house and land area or a new one, is just how many uh, houses that are in the secondary market. So they're not, mm. you know, and, and, and I feel sorry for a lot of those people that are uh, have owned a property maybe, you know, four or five years. They haven't really made much of a gain and now they're competing against government grants. Yeah. So and they're so, massive in Perth from my understanding. It's over 50 grand and maybe even more. Some of the, the home builder plus there was a state grant, I think. You know, Veronica, I think you know a bit more about it, but I knew that it was the largest in the country. Um, yeah. last year or last 2020 it's an interesting catch 22 because we need housing stock uh, but what w- the facts are that the where we build a lot of these new housing stocks it is the most vulnerable market for several mm-hmm. years yeah i think partly it's so vulnerable because of all those incentives making people pile in mm, and having a true. false sense false confidence and a false sense of how much you know they're getting free money they don't realize that that's actually not free money at all and they also don't realize that the next lot of buyers won't be given the same amount of free money to buy their house and and i think that's that's the trap of it so without it'd be interesting to see how the markets behaved if there weren't those incentives um potentially you know that they potentially or i think and this is the thing i think people would be better off if they didn't have incentives because then there would be a proper healthy market for those properties when they went to resell them yeah, paper-based incentives just don't really change the dial. You need to, you know, create supply. So so the standout, you said, was Perth, and I feel very sorry for all those people over in Perth because they have had a shocking time of the, over the last decade. And, and, of course, you know, there was a very small window of opportunity with the post, post-lockdown post or post-COVID or whatever you want to call it um, boom that we had in 20, end of 2020 and into 
throughout 2021. So you're basically sort of suggesting that that window of opportunity is slammed shut. Well, it depends. If, if, if demand increases, which, you know, chances are small, but it's possible. Uh, if demand suddenly increases, then um, this will be less of a concern. But given the uh, rise in listings, given their pipeline supply, there's a lot of you know, new building approvals mm. that have gone through in the last 18 months across most of these areas. There's a strong pipeline supply, strong and high level of listings. It's very vulnerable to a v- yeah. slight decrease in demand. Well, you've also got interest rate rises on the yeah. horizon as well. So, yeah. you know, that's... Uh, okay, so what's after Perth? Well, I, I think that the, the summary, if I kind of go out macro here, so I've, I've analysed 329 SA3 markets. Now, Applying those assumptions and my approach here, uh, we've gone from an average of about three months of inventory three months ago, uh, which was you know a very strong seller's market across the board. Now that's the average. Mm-hmm. The uh, the where we would sit uh, in the coming weeks is closer to five months of inventory. Mm. So that's a fairly dramatic shift. Mm. If yeah. you know all things equal. So um, now of that, um, fifty three out of 329 Mm. would have six months of inventory or higher under these assumptions. So that's 53. So what that really says is we're we're still in a strong, you know, the markets are still strong. And and what we're comparing everything to is just this extraordinarily low levels of inventory and price rises. So, you know, I think we could be six to 12 months before we get back to anything that we would consider long-term normal. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> but um, so anyway, so where we're at. So we, we there's a couple of other areas that stood out here. A very, very slight weakening in Richmond Tweed. So it's going from 160 kilometres an hour, as we spoke about last time, <laughs> down to maybe 110. But that was a, an interesting one because I only thought that there was there's you know, perpetual upside there. But it does look like uh, Richmond Tweed might just start to be easing slightly. So that's the Northern Rivers, right? That's that's yeah. your favourite part of the world, Kent, if oh, I, I may it. say so, Byron Bay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Does this include um, Byron, though? Um, well, Richmond Tweed at an SA4 level is split into two, the coastal and then the hinterland. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I've just grouped them together and said that broader area, um, just yeah. you know, for the sake of it. So, you know, that area is just starting out. But it's gone from red hot, maybe looks like it's going back to hot. Mm. Um, so that it's was funny a stand you say that. We actually, um, I was literally, you know, I think it was one day this week, I can't remember what it was. A client was looking to buy, he's uh, living up there, you know, got a house in Sydney, but he's able to work remotely. Didn't know, he just said, Look, I'm now living up here, I'm renting up here, we want to buy a house up here. I said, oh, Okay, what, what do we do? Let's do the numbers, see what we can buy. And I, I've got a quick look on, you know, domain real estate. I was like, Wow, there is actually quite a lot. Of properties on the market in places like you know your Pottsvilles and your Kingscliffs and I, like and I remember looking just in the height of COVID in the last couple of years a few times mm-hmm. and I'm thinking there wasn't much on the market so it must be that you know they're seeing that the the market's slowing down it's an opportunist they never thought their house would double and right. um, and it could get 1.5 for their shack um, but they can so and it seems like that's when. You can already see that the the demand's probably slowed down a little bit as well, and now there's a bit of stock sitting on the market. Um, well, if you've got a holiday home, it's probably a good to, if and if you need to sell or want yeah. to sell, it's probably a good time to think about it. Cash in, and that's right. Probably is a lot of well, holiday not, homes up there. Yeah, 
I think you might have had to have already thought about it to potentially have done it. <laughs> good, well, good point. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, you know, are we going to say that September 2021 was when, you know, the optimal time to sell was, you know, because I think there's some sales that aren't getting as high as that, right? So it's very hard to time the top. It's usually before you, you think it's... Um, you think it's the top. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's interesting. I've heard quite a lot of anecdotal feedback around that area that a lot of people, you know, in the acreage sort of space have been deciding now's the time to cash in. And so, yeah, it's that, that sort of those people watching the market all deciding at the same time, which is sort of weird how people tend to do that. <laughs> and then, of course, that sort of pre- precipitates a slowdown by its very uh, – by the actions of so many people. So it's like that when you is start a-, a new business, you think, oh, I've got this amazing idea, you spend months and months in this little sandbox not telling anyone and then when you launch, you're like, wow, there's three businesses launching pretty much exactly the same <laughs> at the same time. Humans are thinking the same things all over the world. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're not special. <laughs> it's a veal Oscar effect. You know, I, used to, I don't know if I've given this example on this podcast before, but when I used to work in restaurants a long time ago, when veal Oscars were often on the menu, there would just be nights where everyone ordered a veal Oscar. It was bizarre. It was like, <laughs> but they all hang out around the corner and go, you know, tonight I feel like a veal Oscar. <laughs> Subliminal. Um, there, there's some there's some interesting uh, trends on the positive side, um, and our, this was a surprise. The western suburbs of Melbourne, northwest mm. Melbourne West. Uh, yeah, Melton, Bacchus March, Tullamarine, Broadmeadows, um, Keylor. The, these are looking strong, very strong. Really, and and I didn't I didn't did not expect it. So it, you know they jump off the page when when the data says now even with uh, the assumption that sales volumes could fall back, the listings volumes are so low and inventory levels are so low that they're still looking really really strong. So that was a surprise how strong they are. Now probably the other call out is as the borders open up, people love Melbourne. You know, a lot of overseas migrants who arrive and call Australia home just love Melbourne. So that's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. I, I agree. I think Melbourne's going to get its uh, its mojo back, I guess. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of people, I think Melbourne's all about the city from, you know, living down there. And when I visit, it's all about what that city offers, right? It's a bit like a global city, you know, in Australia. We don't really have elsewhere, right? So... Um, you know, if you live in Melbourne and you, you know, you're doing well financially, you want to live in the action, right? Um, if you can, I think these last couple of years, we've seen clients go to the, you know, the Elthams and the Dandenongs and Mornington and Geelong, etc. But I think, you know, when that return to work comes back, you know, that inner city Melbourne will get back when migrants come, you know, you're right. Sydney, Melbourne's where they come, you know, yeah. um, because of work. So, um, and it's probably the only cities they know <laughs> a lot of the time. So um, I agree. It's going to be interesting to see how Melbourne's um, come back is over the next few years yeah can we were talking you know off air and and you were saying that and we're recording just for transparency because we won't release this till mid-march so anything could change between now and then but we're recording this in the very dying days of february and you had said that literally in the last two weeks you've noticed a real change um in some of these areas and 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 anecdotally i was talking to one of my team today who's they were talking about the blue mountains and they're saying that all of a sudden agents you know, price drops and agents on the phone, and and it's very very sudden. And these things do change on the ground very suddenly. Yeah, so, they do. what is it that, you, that you've been picking up? Yeah, I've um, I did a quick uh, sort of the SA threes that have had a twenty percent or more increase in listings in the last three weeks. Mm. So this is a substantial jump. Now we've got Brighton, 
down in, in, in Melbourne. Um, the far north, don't worry about it. I'll pull out some of the ones we're all f- more familiar with. Adelaide yep. City's had a bit of a, an increase. This is housing mm-hmm. stock in their SA3. Canada Bay. Now, you, you both know Canada Bay. It's in close to, to the, to the city. city there. So, um, uh, Broad Beach Burley. Now, that's an interesting one. So that's mm. it. You know, it's one of the tightest markets in Australia, but we've seen an increase in listings. This is housing you're talking about. Housing. Right? So housing yeah. stocks across the SA3. Um, Barwon West, um, I can't even remember where that one is. Leichhardt. We know where Leichhardt is. <laughs> we do. So Leichhardt's seen an increase. Um, and then Hobart, Hobart Northwest. So maybe it could be the early signs that Hobart could be returning to normal because it's been extraordinary for years now. Mm. So, so that's interesting. I do um, wonder if the lockdown effect in twenty twenty one and the you know uh, not people able to move around, etc. People were like couldn't get trades, couldn't get stylists. You know, there was a uh, not many people could list late last year or didn't have the confidence to. Everyone thought about it over Christmas. Everyone tried to list in you know January, February. And I think this is the real test of the market because you've got this real fear around what's going to come. You know, rising interest rates. Everyone's very fearful of that. We've had. Even last night, ANZ increased rates dramatically. CBA did it this week, ING for the fourth or fifth time as well. So interest rates have jumped up a lot. Obviously, the, the worries with, um, you know, the Ukraine situation. So mm. it's going to be a real test over the next six months for a lot of markets where, you know, they potentially already had a lot of stock or a lot of stocks coming on and buyers are pulling out. And um, it's a real test to see if they can maintain the prices of last year, I guess. Well, it was interesting. I was listening to President Biden address uh, the address this morning and he made special note of fuel prices and inflation Mm. so it's a big issue it's a global issue and it'll flow onto us we're not going to be immune from it so fuel prices that might uh cull the uh tree change sea change a little bit (laughs) oh well you just work from (laughs) home more and you you you, you do less uh you you drive less (laughs) although although i mean in new south wales now it's like it's City's open for business again. You yeah. know, Perite is very intent on saying, well, you know what, they really, what, what pandemic? We're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. also, everyone, enough people have had it that uh, everyone's saying, oh, it's just like a cold, that we don't have to worry about actually precautions anymore. And come on, open slather, Party let's get time. back to work. Yeah. Well, this is a bit of a dampener. World War Three dampens the uh, the COVID reopening mm. party a bit. Um, yeah, Hobart appeared in the south and west as well, and Devonport. So, it's interesting. Mm. Some of these markets that we, you know, may be just starting to come to the end of their party. Well, could they've be the been investors closed. as well in Hobart, right? They could be the investors have got in there. They've seen massive price increases. Maybe we should take our money and run because it is one of those markets where you probably, you know, you probably don't want to sit in for thirty or forty years potentially, um, especially at current prices. So, do you reckon that is there any way to know that a lot of listings are coming from? You know, people who have rented their properties. And- well, yeah. Um, look, what I I did a, a bit of an analysis in a, uh, for an AFR story last week, and um, I was looking at the properties that were ex rentals that came on, mm. and and pr- the variable of interest there. Well, the story or the topic was to look at is the rental pool going to shrink as a result of this. Now, mm. ultimately, what matters is the stuff that's selling and how many of there are, how many of them flow back in as mm. rentals is your big thing because rarely do you see a number of properties list above the rental tenure percentage. So if you say the national average, say, 35% rentals, there's really no suburbs I can find or SA3s I can find that ever have more than 35% or the average rental tenure listed for sale as X rentals. Wow. So with that in mind, 
what you do look at is those suburbs that that have all the other rental uh, factors looking bad, as in there's just no available rentals, there's low rental tenure, price going up, and you're still seeing some ex-rentals hit the market. Your biggest concern is how many new rentals are adding in, how many investors are going to come in and top it up. That's the biggest variable of interest. As prices rise, they become less desirable to investors because they're more expensive and investors go, you know, like cheap and cheerful. Um, We agree on this podcast. Um, And it's as natural what happens. A market could be quite balanced between investors and home buyers because it's at a price point where both would consider it. But as the price gets more expensive, investors less less can afford it you think about housing sitting at two million dollars like what investor is going to go and buy that very yeah few. I'd, yeah but half a percent um, yield i mean yeah. but um <laughs> it's it's a market that's conflicts with that logic at the moment is the mid-north coast of new south wales critically low vacancy rates really good yields very very low pipeline building supply so it's a crisis for the renters. Uh, the community housing groups, etc., cetera, uh, are in are all sorts of strife because homelessness building up there. Oh, yeah. And you've got really low socioeconomics. So these poor buggers are really under the hammer and the investors aren't really buying there at, at enough. So there's just not enough pipeline supply, not enough investors. If there's any part of the world that needs help right now, it's there. Yeah. Yeah, homeless is real. I've, you know, I've seen a situation, you know, close to home where, you know, family or family, um, you know, can't moving out of one rental and can't rent another place, um, keeps getting knocked back, and um, you know, it's just too much competition, and their situation doesn't look great on paper, um, and it's just impossible, and the yeah. days are ticking down, and, and so, you know, it's going to be a place where they have to live with someone else, right? Um, and you know, it's a. It's a real problem out there that um, yeah, there are real lives out here. And these are listings are real lives as well. Like we would talk about this at a macro level. When you see lots of listings and these are people's stories, it's their experience, it's the stress and the years of um, this thing playing out and on top of their mind, you know, why did we do that? If we didn't do that, we could have been here and how do we get out of this? And, um, yeah, so it, it's that's why we care so much about this because these are real lives behind these stories. Yeah. Yes. So um, it, now I, I think you I want ask- just yeah. on that one, because a lot of the issues in uh, sort of the regional areas that are popular amongst holiday goers is not only are these, you know, rental properties taken out of the market and then sold to owner occupiers, but they're, or they might be sold as holiday homes, but they've yeah. also been putting on Airbnb, there's the short term rental market as opposed to the long term rental market. I, you know, I know I just hit you with this because we haven't actually discussed it, <laughs> but is there any. Any indication as to the how that's playing into this and what sort of extent? Um, I haven't really covered it mm. enough enough to, to, to talk about. So, you know, I think with with the rental market specifically, uh, it's 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 what I'm finding with the rental market, probably the standout metric there at the moment is um, a lot of the high vacancy rate areas looking starting to look better. Yeah. They're improving. Yeah. So yeah. I think that'll have a flow-on effect to everything. So um, these pockets of high vacancy rates, such as your Docklands, such as your mm. Melbourne inner, et cetera, are all looking better. So I think the heartache uh, of a lot of the inner-city, high-density investors um, will start to ease a little bit now. Well, I'm presuming that's because the borders are open again and, you know, we're looking at overseas students and immigration. So, and typically a lot of those people would go to those type of properties right 
Oh, well, I think that you just you'll flow to where the properties are available. You don't have the absolutely. The, you don't have schools to worry yeah. about. You don't have a job yet, mm-hmm. so you'll just go to where and you, you, you know there's some pretty nice apartments available in Docklands for a few hundred bucks a week. So yeah. why wouldn't you? It's a good point though, Ken. If you can't go rent a property in an area that you really want to be, you'll have to go where there's properties available. Mm. And, you know, if you can't rent that, maybe it's for socioeconomic reasons or something. You have to go to an area where maybe it's a bit cheaper and there's a lot and it's easy to rent. And this is where you get uh, a different type of demographic shifting into these areas. And, um, that's sort of what happens right then more and more housing stock come on so we've got to be very careful that you know these suburbs don't become um, areas where the socioeconomic starts to deteriorate and you get this more supply and then it's less desirable and then if it's less desirable then and all of a sudden you've got this pocket where um now, people don't want to live, but there's lots of housing, for example. Well, it's interesting that I find the CIFR index, which I, I, I love, that 1 to 10 index that says, you know, 10 being the most socially advantaged. Yeah. Um, th- when you look at things such as the leading indicators, such as uh, vacancy rates or inventory, so vacancy rates versus rent price movement or inventory versus house price movement or sale price movement, the CIFR index does show up very differently. So if you've got a lower socioeconomic area, all things equal generally those those that have had the c for index eight nine or ten have been the ones that have had the steeper reaction in terms of a, a tight market bigger price increase whereas you've got some of these areas that are lower socioeconomic doesn't matter how much the, the vacancy rates um, reduce prices have only been marginal in their yeah. in their rise because people can't afford to give you an extra two hundred dollars a week yeah. Now, you know, for those people, though, you know, an extra 20 or 30 bucks a week, that's a lot of money. Mm. Yeah. So mm. it's interesting to see the, the market dynamics and how much I've learned in the last two or months just observing because everywhere is just almost that in one fell swoop, we've had uh, a similar impact in terms of vacancy rates trending down and low, uh, inventory trending down and low. And now we've, now we've got some, a method to kind of categorise and understand the dynamics of each market and you know classify them um so you know and you can pull them out and say look yeah the the markets that are higher advantage markets behave very very differently yeah it's interesting because of course when you're sort of measuring things by looking at rental values uh you know the the rent right that's a lot slower um, marker than sale prices, right? Sale prices, you've got one property, it goes on the market, people fight over it if the price goes up and it relative to other properties and you start to see prices move, right? Whereas rental, people sign up for a six or 12 month lease and therefore there's a delayed impact of, you know, on increased rents, you know what I mean? Because, you know, if rents are rising in an area and you might have a bunch of people sitting there on paying old rents and it's not until their lease comes up for renewal that that actually starts rising so what what would you see would be the delay in i guess seeing an impact or seeing when prices are on the rise um it's i'd say the 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 theory that i hold out is uh landlord pride in that they want the same rent as they had last same as seller last year (laughs) so so that that is the biggest factor in yeah. my in my view. That's a theory I have, is that they hold on 
to the last rental, placing immense pressure on the property manager has the poor you know, meat in the sandwich. And, and they don't react or understand the market dynamics enough to say, hey, I'm going to cut you some slack, chop 20 bucks off it. So that's when it's falling. But what about when it's rising? Well, when it's rising, I think that it's, it, 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 it's interesting here. Uh, the rising market is, it gives me – I've got a whole new theory there. And <laughs> what we've seen is um, a lot of the regional markets were, uh, were the least, lowest in terms of reaction, especially in the sale price side of it. Because mm. they, you know, they didn't have as I don't know what it was, but you'd think, wow, they could have put, they could have listed that property for much more. So though it wasn't underquoting deliberately, it was just conservative regional real mm. estate agents using comps that they, and they're not adjusting the comps for market movement, and they they were under underquoting it and hand over heart believed that was the right sale mm. price. So I've seen it up here in Newcastle yeah. where properties were listing. And they probably should have listed it for two or three hundred k more. Yeah, and and there was no malice. There was mm. no malice at all. Yeah, I've seen this happen too. That if it's not on an auction area, so you're not sort of used to that whole idea of you know, underquoting. <laughs> um, but also indexing. I mean, we've had to be really, really focused on our indexing when we do our price research in the business, because you know when you've got some months like last year, you know I think what. Well, was it March? I think it was the biggest month. You've got some months that are going up, prices going up 3 and 4%. Like that's yeah, crazy and unsustainable. But if you don't factor that in, you are going to always be out. Whereas I've never met one sales agent that indexes. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, it needs to be done here even in the valuation sector, whereas mm. the appraisers in the United States use something called a grid adjustment system. So they will index it through, through by mm. market indices, but they'll also do size adjustment. So if you bring in a comp that's one extra bedroom or a comp that's one less bedroom, you make an adjustment based on a coefficient value or a dollar value. Mm. And and and, we, and that's the way AVMs work. So if you take the best of that, but you put it in the hands of a, a human who has the ability to judge quality, um, you've got the best of both worlds. So I think we need, we, we, we've got a lot to learn from America. Yeah, it's funny. We had a client this week using a buyer's agent, um, pretty keen on a property. Buyer's agent said to the agent, Look, I think it's worth, you know, mid ones. And the agent goes, I agree with you. He goes, this will go probably closer to two. Um, he goes, I actually think it's probably only worth that. Um, but based on what I'm seeing, this is what it's going to go at. And it was in Brisbane. But it just, it was quite a hilarious conversation because the agent's like scratching their head. Just going, mm. this is just, I, I don't think it's worth this, but this is what the market's going to tell me. Like, this is the feedback I'm getting is, and we're talking 20% above what the, they both agreed was a fair price based on all the comparables. Um, That's he's it. Like, oh, he said, I'm happy to pay this today. This is what I think it's worth. He goes, well, I know, I agree with you, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to sell it for this. <laughs> and yeah, I think and they're, they're bound by the comps. They can't make that adjustment. Mm. The comp price was the comp price. Yeah. yeah. And you know, if, if, if those comps are now you know, 20% higher in price, uh, that should be reflected. Mm. Um, independently, uh, objectively should be uh, reflected in the CMA. It's, uh, you know, and in Brisbane too, you've got a lot of um, 
southerners buying yep. up there Absolutely. and taking with them their southern mentality in terms of what's value yeah. when you compare like for like in brisbane you know sydney or melbourne you know brisbane is cheap and and this is a, a big problem we've seen it just you know locally here when people come from even just in in sydney is a classic you know the old the eastern suburbs versus the inner west you know you do get more for your money in the inner west and it's a big big agent sales pitch oh we'll get to the eastern suburbs buyers because they're really stupid they don't realize that <laughs> they don't need to pay that much but they will um and in some cases it does happen but i yeah. think definitely in one city it's not quite um it doesn't really happen that much but certainly from city to city i think there is that sense of god oh, my god if that was in sydney it'd be worth x so i'm happy to pay w you know like <laughs> i think it happens in sydney i think you know people in the especially where i'm in the beaches they come from the east and you know we and multiple oh, parts yeah, over the last couple right. of years where people have well if i was getting buying this in the east it would be you know double that price and then it's like well it's not in the east and it's on a main road and it's not a great property and you're paying this price for it okay yeah it's uh but that mentality does matter because people go well you know i'm comparing in their mind like for like beach close to the city you know you know um and for that's good comparable value and that's what's like when i looked at brisbane at the moment you know you think client bought a couple couple of places in the last couple of weeks and i'm like for 2.5 you bought that like that's a that's a lot of property um and in sydney you know you don't even get a three-bed terrace right um so yeah it's 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 crazy when you do come from a city and you move to a new city because it's so hard to let go of all those you know uh you know those beliefs or those negative experiences you've had missing out or not being able to get a dream home well, and Brisbane's can- interesting the inner the inner ring the gap is going to close without a doubt the market's so tight that mm-hmm. I believe that the price gap between the southern capital cities and Brisbane will change for that inner ring. But what's really interesting with people going up to Brisbane is, you know, the, the locals don't really like anything outside of 15K, whereas the people coming up from the southern states look at it and say, wow, this is amazing value, 20K out. So the gap <laughs> the gap really broadens out uh, commensurate with the, the kilometre distance. Yep. It's a funny one, though, too, because, like, yeah, there's that thing about the locals wouldn't buy it. They wouldn't pay a premium for it because they know how difficult it is to get around. But but if you come from Sydney and you've been sitting in traffic for... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you know, I drove my daughter to school the other day. Um, you know, normally it would take 15 minutes in a normal run for me to get... It took me 15 minutes to get her to school. took me 55 minutes to get home. You know, it's just a joke. Anyway, so we'll if you've been sitting, doing that again for a while. No, except that, you know, the train's on strike and all the rest of it. But anyway, uh, yeah. well, what's, uh, just a little side note. Um, I've been plotting all the infrastructure projects on my map. And what jumped at me was the amount of rail infrastructure going into the outer, the outer suburbs of Melbourne and mm-hmm. also linking the regional cities. So they're not fast trains, but they're reliable, faster trains and expansion of services. So those who live in the outer burbs or the commutable distance regional cities of Melbourne look like they're being well looked after. Well, there is this fast train to Geelong. I'm not exactly sure exactly where it's up to in the process, but that seems pretty likely now from what I've read over the last year or so. And then when Uh, you look at and compare and contrast what's happening in the other states, you go, well, you know, Chairman Dan's got one thing going for him. Mm. (laughs) Now... Units. We did sort of touch on units, but um, that's obviously quite a different 
scenario we were talking a couple of weeks ago and you were suggesting that the units supply is actually coming down a little bit it is it is so you know with the exception of melbourne inner so melbourne inner just doesn't the dial's not really moving yet on melbourne inner so we will have to wait until the uh, the borders open up to see if things change in melbourne inner for inventory it just keeps on you look you think oh we're on a roll here from 14 months inventory down to 12 and then it goes back up again mm. so there's so much pipeline supply down there that i just we can't get on top of it whereas if we look at the other uh, all the other cities um you know there's only there's only a couple of pockets that i'm worried about in sydney was around that Parramatta uh, area with a bit of pipeline supply and higher inventory but by and large um most of the apartment markets because of affordability are improving mm. so i think the biggest driver here in sydney for example how many you know less than five percent of the suburbs in sydney are, are going to offer you a property for under seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars as a median house price so you really are if you're a first-time buyer in sydney now where what are you going to look at mm. i do i yeah i mean we've um you know had some people come on the podcast before that have been very um excited about do that buy units anywhere and we were very much saying no that's not a good idea and um, there's evidence of places in Sydney that prices of units have gone down over the last 12, 18 months. Um, well, you know, yeah, the it's the 10-year. Parramatta for one, you know, you've got um, places like, um, you know, Colgara and, you know, Willow Creek and, you know, Rosebury mm-hmm. and et cetera. There's lots of these high-density guts. You send a Sydney property boom, but these areas have gone backwards um, and there's still heaps of apartments. And so times are getting better, but... Uh, they've had a pretty tough time. They've had none of the rewards over the last um, two or three years with super low interest rates. And that'll run out of steam pretty quick, I think, because, you know, higher interest rates um, will be scaring a lot of people to um, take less risk um, rather than FOMO just forces people to take ridiculous risk. Um, And people are getting more educated. Um, I just feel that, you know, this story is getting out more and more, um, you know, the, the importance of buying a quality asset. Well, I'd well, like to think it is, but, uh, you know, it's funny, I actually had a strategy session with some people yesterday and and they're looking at, you know, obviously they're, well, they're wanting to, they've got a small child, they're wanting to buy a family home, they're looking at sort of what their options are. They already own an apartment that they've owned for 10 years in that sort of homebush area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... So they wanted to hold it as an investment. So I was quizzing them as to well, what what is it about the property that makes you want to hold on to it? And there's you know various reasons that they had. And I said, well, you know, we talked about you know opportunity cost and et cetera, yep. et cetera. And I, and I said, okay, let's just do an exercise. I literally did it live. I went right, get on a realestate.com.au. Yep. Let's see how many property, how many two bedroom apartments are currently on the market in Homebush. And there were ninety nine. Um, yeah. Some new stock coming on as well. So there's this con- you know, new supply as well as competing with existing. And I'm like, I'm just going to randomly pluck another suburb. I <laughs> literally don't know what I'm going to find. Let's look at Leichhardt. It's within that 10K radius of the CBD. I'm not saying, you know, you should buy in Leichhardt, a two-bedroom apartment in Leichhardt, but I just want to see how many are there and 10. Yeah. Um, so it's like you, that's in one city. So back to your, your, you know, what you said earlier, Kent, about, you know, there's no such thing as a Sydney property market or whatever. We're actually talking sort of west, inner west, regionally somewhat the same there, but massive difference in inventory levels. Um, yeah. And, that's you know, really good I did point, Veronica. So that client, we, you know, I literally, literally last night got an email from a client and many years ago, probably four or five years ago, they came to me with an apartment in Homebush 
and I was very much like, this is not ever going to be a good asset. Maybe you're about to sell it five, ten percent more if you, you know, get the perfect situation, but you're going to potentially buy a cheaper house to keep hold of this this place, and they mm. did. Um, and fast forward, you know, they're coming back to me to you know last night and say, look, we're thinking about selling the the home bush apartment, and I literally just brought it up on Core Logic, and it's basically been hovering six hundred to seven hundred, and it's around six fifty now. So it's like the exchange rate just selling flatlining. Oh. Um, and it's been like that since 2015, since, you know, the height of the investor boom. And um, and so what they've done is they've gone a bit conservative on the house by, by trying to keep hold of this investment because, yeah. you know, it's that pain of, oh, we'll be able to sell it in the future, right? They're A, not going to get a better result. They're finally taking And B, they've lost out because they're more conservative on the house. And if they just went a bit for a big, bigger house, let's say, it'd be a much better situation. And so if you've got a dud asset and it's holding you back from other decisions, factor in the opportunity cost because that's the... That's the painful cost. They're not losing any more money on this place, but they have lost what they could have done four years ago um, and where their situation would be. Well, looking at the uh, SA3 10-year median change of the two asset classes of houses versus units across the country, it's half. Mm-hmm. Now, that, and when you factor that in, it's half the growth rate. Um, that includes uh, the median being mashed up with new stock. Yeah. So it's not like the US analysis where we split out secondary and new it would it would amplify that that gap even further i know i find that sort of so frustrating with apartment data that it sort of because there's some good results mixed in but there's a very only a small percentage that actually gets a good result so the good results look you know are just missed but that bad results overwhelmingly drag everything down and i just think that even just looking at that aggregate amount 50 percent less than houses it should be enough to to warn people off jumping in and thinking that they're going to be able to use that as a stepping stone strategy to their next property that's that's the danger going back um, to your um situation sorry cut you off you want to finish something i was about to say with kent because i know kent you've been talking about and i've sort of stolen some of your idea your your ideas i've stolen um generously being bestowed i don't know how you want to call it but you know you were talking you've spoken about the decoupling of value sale on the coast you sort of got the, the highway you know and you've got the the properties on the coast side and then you've got the properties on the other side of the coast yep. that decoupling you we you've been talking about decoupling of of you know outer suburban properties versus inner urban properties um and that gap that's widening and widens so great that really it's really difficult to leapfrog from one to to another and i guess the apartment market is is probably the best illustration of mm. this phenomena yeah I, I, my concern is more the social impact that because mm. you don't have a wealthy family you're now forced into a sub standard asset class uh, and you're now bound to a a, a lower level of wealth in yep. perpetuity now mm. a, a great example is is if you if you divide up the market into quintiles and you say the top 10 percent sorry the top you know 20 percent of, of of sydney versus the bottom 10 20 percent the growth rates have over the last 12 months 24 months have typically been a five or six times variance Absolutely. the gap so so that means that the you know if we just took housing price appreciation as the indicator of the wealth gap it's grown by five or six times in the last two years. Yeah, it's huge. Mm. It's huge. Yeah. Now, now you'll, that's a, that's the housing market. Imagine that 
amplify that when you get to a sub asset a substandard asset class of apartments versus houses and this is what we're forcing a lot of young people into Mm. so you'd have to say to them think twice and and think about a housing market rent vesting opportunity especially with build to rent coming in you know saying i'd rather a really nice build to rent apartment Mm. and go and buy a house in a in a solid area that's uh, affordable for you yeah we have those conversations with clients you know um we've you know it's not gonna if you really just need to live and want to live in an apartment and it's all you can afford then don't go buy it you know let's just invest your money and buy one crop it's really important for that first you know place for someone mm. because if they take a wrong step then they're not really getting ahead they're just potentially missing the opportunity of time and you know and if anything taking a lot of risk for no reward i think the thing that i just want to point out on your data kent you said that rouse hill sydney um sort of balcom hills has got what potentially up to two years of inventory if well, sales it, volume yeah it ebbs and flows and and you know you get a whole new release uh, a whole new section of, of properties right. released in these house and land areas and there is always that lag with it being captured in the sales volume okay. so that's always the limitation with house and land areas but what was happening was it it kind of went from red to yellow to getting close to the shade of green in terms of market risk Mm. the stock levels were being absorbed in rouse hill um so um so it looks like it's spiked again and and what i'd say is the best way to read that data is it's it's vulnerable because if Mm. demand drops off right it's going to be one of the areas hit the hardest in terms of excess inventory that needs to be cleared now in the case of you know some developers can just hold the stock and in the case where it's a virtual house and land package where it's just land the holding costs are low Mm. so that's probably a couple of call outs there Um, Mm. but um, there are some markets that are a traditional secondary markets that are on that list that that are you know that are some call outs there so i think that's interesting but that's on the negative side, but there's some positive ones. Uh, and yeah, I think there's some really robust markets. And, I, and yeah, let's hit that in a sec. But I just want to point out, remember back to our very first Suburb Trends episode, and we started by going, you know, through the, the bottom fives and the top fives and whatever, and, and Rouse Hill just kept making Always the list there. every month, <laughs> and we just stopped having that format because of it. And so I guess it does no surprise that it's a vulnerable market. It's always been a vulnerable market, and it might, the market itself may have of uh disguised or covered up that vulnerability for a period of time but now it's sort of it it stands out immediately because of that yeah and I, as I, i'll go back to it it's it's a lot of the perth uh, areas where mm. you've got this strong pipeline they there's there's vulnerability purely on the inventory analysis but then there's vulnerability for the first few years in that you know when if you look at mortgage insurance claims uh, etc a lot of them the vulnerability period is the first couple of years so when you've got a whole new estate uh, with people who are brand new with their mortgages and settling in with new debts and whatever these are vulnerable communities don't get divorced don't lose your job that's basically the method yeah and and back off on the subscriptions (laughs) <laughs> don't go don't spend all your money on subscriptions no. I, I robust markets up their um their subscription this week you know five bucks a month that's that's a oh. pretty big jump um is that a 50 percent increase oh uh, that's maybe 20 which i was like whoa Cheeky. hello that's all right i'm not going to say no to that quick quick button and uh, off i go again <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, um, robust markets. Robust. Uh, I've got a, a list of a few here. Um, Bell Conan, it's just been up on top of the chart. So even with my assumption that sales volumes could fall, it's still tight, still tough. Uh, Hornsby is there. Sutherland. Housing I, markets you're talking, yeah? Housing, only housing market mm. by SA3. You think, you think about this, you're gonna, next one you're going to say is Sutherland. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. They're the two pockets that first home buyers in Sydney, you know, not maybe, you know, that are earning, you know, pretty decent high incomes right um can only really enter because well, they yeah. are, they're sort of sub two mil ish and that's where a lot of first home buyers will run out of steam i mean obviously there's a lot of first home buyers running out of steam at 1.5 mm. and etc but you know that double income you know two three four three hundred thousand sort of income they, they deposit and income will start capping out there and plus confidence and you know worried about debt etc that's the only pockets they can really go to from uh, you know if they're thinking about going you know leaving the inner ring they kind of want to go north um you know around the national parks and you know um, potentially go up the central coast or they want to go down to Sutherland. and so they're really hot markets for our clients where mm. um who have got budget sub two million that's in jump common that, sorry is the train line both of them are on yep. the train line good as well. train lines yeah. and there's that's an upgrade true. to heathcote road and a bit of infrastructure going in there that's true um Sutherland jumped out on the maps for me using the um, uh, 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 the ratio of household income to house price a couple really? of years ago. So for that exact same reason, Chris. Mm. So two years ago, it was off the charts in terms of, wow, uh, this in terms of what people can afford versus what the house prices are based on local income rates, income mm. levels at a household level, it was a cracker. And that, you know, when you add that to all the other variables such as, low inventory it was a standout sub a standout investment area owner occupied area mm, so you're saying the incomes were high to the value of the property the, the, the ratio of income so typically if you kind of say more than 30 percent of you this is the um uh the demographia standard where they say more than 30 percent of your household income is being spent yeah um it or by any measure of housing affordability, because their incomes were higher relative to the house price, yes, it jumped off. It jumped off the charts for me a couple of years That's ago. It's a good opportunity where you know that people are not stretching to buy into the housing market there because they're on great incomes and their houses are reasonably cheap. You know that's also shifting because a lot of people who traditionally aren't from the Shire, I know that's your neck of the woods, Veronica. I probably shouldn't tell people that. I think. Um, I've, but, I've, you, I've confessed a number of times. I did leave yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of people have come from, uh, not from Australia. You know, Sydney's got a very multicultural country. People have moved here over the next last decade, right? We get clients of, um, and they I just know. Love Even it. the Shire's becoming multicultural. <laughs> they, yeah, well, exactly. Never. Yeah. yeah, there was beach rights, you know, not that long ago. But um, <laughs> you're right. But that's, it's definitely, you know, especially people from um, Europe, Europe and um, English in particular, they love it down there. Um, and, you know, the thoughts of moving down there, they're like, yeah, no worries. Yeah, I'm happy to go down there. There's a train, easy to get to the city, beautiful water, and national park and south coast, and um, there's no connotations of what it used to be. So, um, I th- And they're going there on high incomes. They're city workers because the train line is so yeah, easy for them to get to the city. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a great spot down there um, um, to, to, be, to own property. Um, Brisbane Inner East is the mm. other one really robust um the whole inner brisbane right yeah. now yeah. it is solid you're talking um, housing houses yeah houses <laughs> yeah. Um, just to be clear i've got uh, tullamarine broad meadows Ooh. so that's that's looking solid um 
I've got uh, Warringah, which is kind of always your go-to. Uh, just in terms of its inventory level, even with some reduction in demand, it's still remaining super tight. So that's and the that last lifestyle one, Mar- market. Sorry? Lifestyle, lifestyle yeah. market, yeah. And the last one on the list, Marrickville, Sydenham, Petersham. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you say Warringah there, um, that's sort of up my hood, right? So the northern beaches sort of pocket, right? That's what you're talking about, yeah? Oh, look at pretty much uh, everything all the way all the way through the pen- to the peninsula. Yeah. We haven't so, we haven't mentioned Newcastle, I just realised. But do oh, go we on, haven't. Please. We've left Newcastle out. Look, <laughs> yeah. the, the inventory levels have slightly risen for Newcastle, but it's strong and, and there's a lot of announcements coming out um, about um, Trains. You know, new alternative power, um, there's a lot of infrastructure projects on on green energy, etc. Mm. So, I think the jobs market is going to be the first thing. I don't know about the train. You know, everyone up here is so cynical about any mention of a fast train because every election it gets wheeled out. Well, I think they've run out of cash, haven't they? They're going to. I think they might even can the beaches link tunnel, which I was uh, hoping for. But um, you know, what I was you know mentioning there on the beaches, yes, stock is tight, but. Talking to both agents who are friends with up locally um, and buyers agents is that you know, and this is happening all over Sydney. Is the quality stuff is absolutely still getting lots of competition, and um, you know, without doubt, it's still selling fast and still good prices and higher than last year. Mm. But the other stuff is starting to really flatline, and if not, go down a little bit. Um, if if it's compromised, people are really hesitant to take on that big mortgage, um, and so it's much easier buying. It's so low listings, but. It's easier to buy, and we've had you know clients who you know due to budget you know buying in these you know not the top top stuff, um, and uh, yeah they're able to get contracts signed. Um, you know, so I do think um, things are changing a little bit for the things that are a little bit compromised. A lot of money, but you know, do you want to make that compromise? Well, I think we're returning back to normal. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised in four weeks' time we don't do another analysis and say the average uh, SA three is going to be closer to five or six months of inventory. Yeah, and yeah, and that is a, a market that's pretty balanced. Oh, I love a prediction. <laughs> put you in the report. Brave we're man. Doing, we're doing a new falling forecast report at the moment, just focusing on the banks. And yes, um, we could just throw Kent in there. Depends as well. on what day you ask them, doesn't it? It, just, it does vary week to that's, week. That's what our report's already starting to show us. But anyway, we'll leave the insights till till April first. Exactly right. We'll be bringing that out for you. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, all right. So um, I guess anything. Oh, anomaly. Almost forgot the anomaly. Yeah, you got one for us. I think the anomaly really is that um, you, we don't see the price data. What we're seeing now in terms of an increase in inventory levels, we don't see that reflected in the prices until there's a, a decent lag. So it could be typically three or four months' time we f- before we see it flow onto prices. A couple of reasons for that. Obviously, settlements, but you know, it takes time to sell a property. Uh, it takes time for the sales data to get processed. But equally, um, it takes time for it to be captured in any analysis that uses a rolling 12-month median. You can so, figure it out pretty quick, though. You can get in the market yourself. And you can, get you can, you can squeeze up your sample size, options. and yeah, you can go from. You can do it a few ways. One is you can do the rolling three-month uh, median at an SA three, which is quite okay. Um, yeah. So that's one way to do it. That does still have volatility. Introduce your trade-off is volatility, mm. but your other thing you can do is you can pull up an individual property and and then do a price analysis or a CMA as at a year ago. 
and say, how much did this property sell for and how much mm. would it have been worth a year ago? And you do that, by the time you get to the third or the fourth property, you've got a pretty good handle on things. Yeah. Or even just get into the what I sold at the auction last weekend and start to really, you know, and get out and get on the ground. I think that's always the best option to uh, figure it out. Even if you don't know looking to sell or whatever, or transact in the market, just go and go to a few open homes and, you know, get a feel of what people are doing right now. Hmm. Absolutely. Get on the ground. Um, right. Well, that's been very interesting. And uh, I guess watch this space. I mean, we, we know that the conditions of 2021 could not continue forever. It's inevitable that they would slow down at some point and, and levity return to the market. And also the normal, you know, you can't have everything going up, you know, that you sort of have to... Um, the market needs to go back to its its normal behaviour in that there are some places that have continued demand and some types of properties that will have continued demand and there's others that don't, that really people only go to when they are priced out of the better stuff, I guess. Awesome. All right. Good All right. chat, guys, and um, hope everyone's enjoying the, uh, the episodes. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.